As we head into the month of Kislev, which is obviously the month of Hanukkah, we're going to explore what exactly was the miracle of the oil on Hanukkah. It's related to the parish of this week, where we have the miracle of Sarah and subsequently Rivka's candles that lit from Shabbos to Shabbos. Behind Kenyor in Shabbos and Varchem Chedesh Kislev, frequently Chayes Sarah is Shabbos and Varchem Kislev. As we know, the Shalah Kodesh tells us that the parasha is always aligned with the timing in which it is read. There has to be something in this parasha which alludes to what the month of Kislev is all about. What is the month of Kislev about? The unique content of each month which distinguishes it from other months. Is typically associated with whatever the special dates are in that particular month, a Yom Tov or the likes, because those special dates influence the entire reality and nature of that month. He has a simple example. We're told very clearly in the Megillah itself that the date that is special in Adar influences the entire month of Adar. As the Pasuk tells us, because of what happened on the days of Purim, the entire month was transformed into a month of joy and of Yom Tov. <coughs> Coming back <coughs> to our... <coughs> The entire theme of Kislev must tie in to the Yom Tov, which is the primary Yom Tov of Kislev, namely Hanukkah. Which begins on the 25th of Kislev. And because Chaya Sara is typically the parasha that blesses the month of Kislev, it's no surprise to us that in the story of Pashas Chaya Sara we find something that alludes to the message of Hanukkah and the miracle of Hanukkah. What's the miracle of Hanukkah? Why did we make a miracle and a celebration of Hanukkah? Because of the miracle of the oil. As we know, they only found a single jug of oil. There was only enough oil to last for a single night. And the miracle is that it burned for eight days. So oil that burns much longer than it should have is a miracle we also find with Sora and Rivka, which are both relevant in this week's parasha. Like the Chazal tell us on the Pasuk, when Yitzchak Avinu brought Rivka into his mother's tent and it was like Sora was back, Gemara tells us that they lit candles one Friday and those candles remained alight until the following Friday. Similar to Hanukkah, right? Where the, the light lasts much longer than it should have. There's a slight difference. The first distinction, obviously, is that we have a yomtiv to commemorate the miracle of the Hanukkah licht and not necessarily Sarah and Rivka's candles, is moving as in Nes is do achidesh legabedenes for Sarah Rivka. But even broadly, there's obviously something unique about the miracle of the lights of Hanukkah that didn't exist in the lights of Sarah and Rivka. And let's understand what that is. We're not going to suggest that the only difference is the period of time. That the oil of Hanukkah 
that continued to burn for eight days. Whereas Sarah and Rivka's candles only really lasted miraculously for seven days. That's not going to be the big distinction between the two. Because that's not a distinction in terms of the quality and the nature of the miracle. Now, blaze and commerce, it's just a, a difference in how long the particular miracle extended. So we're looking for something deeper. There's got to be a fundamental qualitative difference between the miracle of the Hanukkah lights, which turned into a Yom Tov, and the miracle of Saren Rivka's lights, which are an historical a point of interest, but don't actually have an impact on our lives. So there are two possible ways that we could analyze what was so unique about Hanukkah. The nest for Hanukkah is mevoi b'cholos if tzvei The There are two ways we look at the miracle of Hanukkah. Alev es is tzukikum aderech nesin kamos Hashem. And the one possibility is that the miracle of Hanukkah is the quantity of oil miraculously increased again and again. To the extent that there was enough oil to last for eight days. So originally there was not enough oil. And then miraculously the oil expanded and now there was enough oil. And there's two ways that that could have happened. One possibility is they poured oil out of this jug into the menorah and then looked back and the jug was full again. Or alternatively, at the end of each day when they came to light the menorah again, they found that none of the oil had burnt down, it was, or, well, well, or the, the oil had replenished, let's put it that way. So either the oil in the jug replenished or the oil in the menorah replenished. These are two opinions quoted in the basis. So the one possibility of the Hanukkah miracle is that there was an extension to the, to the quantum of oil. Or, base, that's another possibility. The actual nature and quality of the oil changed miraculously. The same quantity of oil that should naturally only burn for a day, that same amount of oil had a different nature and lasted much longer. Which technically means that instead of the full quantity burning down in a day, one-eighth burnt down each day. Like the Beis Yosef suggests that there was a possibility they actually split the oil they had into eight portions, and each night they only poured a tiny portion into the mirror, and miraculously it lasted. Or the Prichadosh says, no, actually they originally filled the menorah completely. And each day, instead of the full amount going down, as it should have naturally, only one-eighth went down. Okay, so either the amount of oil miraculously increased, or the rate of burning miraculously was different. So now we're trying to work out, is the miracle of the extended burning of the menorah during Hanukkah similar or different to the, the burning of the, of the oil and the candles of Sarah and Rivka? So maybe it depends on whether we're looking at a difference in increasing the quantity of oil miraculously or decreasing the rate of, of uh, ignition miraculously. So, if we go with the second view, which is that there's a miracle as to how the burning worked, well then, it would seem that the menorah 
And the story of Sarah and Rivka is pretty much the same. So you light a candle in the normal way, like Sarah and Rivka did on a Friday, or like they did in the Beis HaMikdash. And then after that, something miraculous happens and it doesn't burn in the natural way. In both cases, what happens is the candle burns or the oil burns far longer than nature should have allowed it. On the Chirik Tzvishin Zayiz, and then the only difference between Chanukah and Sarah and Rivka's candles is, Aleph, by Chanukah is given aggressor, he's soften kechad leka if achteg canal. The Chanukah candles burnt for a longer period, eight, as opposed to seven days by Sarah and Rivka. And Beis, by Chanukah is given abazundin neis yedin tog. The second distinction is that at the Chanukah miracle, there's actually a new miracle daily, but yedin tog it afon sin the menorah, because you had to light the menorah every single day. Whereas Sarah and Rivka, they would have lit their candles on Friday and then it would remain burning for seven days. So those would be the two distinctions. But there'd be a great similarity between what happened with Sarah and Rivka and what happened with the menorah because in both cases, the, menorah, the, the candle, the light burns longer than you would have expected. Whereas if we go with the first opinion, which is that the amount of oil replenished itself miraculously, then is the next Hanukkah for an undersug. Then the Hanukkah miracle is a completely different experience to Sarah and Rivka's candles. Because the miracle of Hanukkah, it would then emerge, is that miraculously new oil is produced every single day. Which is something we definitely do not find reported in the story of Sarah and Rivka lighting their candles. But even with that opinion, there's still no fundamental innovation in the miracle of Hanukkah. Because the truth is, the concept of replenishing oil is not something that would have happened for the first time in Hanukkah. It happened with a famous story with Elisha, with the uh, woman, who, who was destitute and he filled up oil and oil and oil into all of her kalim. So we're actually looking for something about Hanukkah that is unique. Why did we turn it into a yont? It must be because this is a miracle we had never seen before. So what exactly happened during the Hanukkah miracle that is so unique that isn't just simply about the oil replenishing itself? Because that already happened with Elisha. And it's not just about the rate of ignition and that the the combustion of the candles is somehow longer than usual because that already happened with Sarah and Rivka. What is unique about the Hanukkah miracle? So in Yenufun Tzvei, Anit Glatkeit. Okay, so now both possibilities we looked at. Either the miracle is that the oil miraculously re- replenishes, so it's a, quali- a quantity miracle. Or the miracle of the oil is that it burns at a slower rate. So it's a quality miracle. Each one has a shortcoming. So there's a problem. If we're going to say that the oil keeps replenishing, so the question is, how do you fulfill the mitzvah of lighting the menorah using unnatural oil? The Torah tells us clearly, you have to use normal natural olive oil in order to light the menorah. If on day two, the menorah that's in either the menorah, the, the, the oil that is either in the menorah or in the jug has miraculously appeared, it's not kosher for a menorah. 
Und man muss verhindern, als mit Shemen Zeiss, wird nicht gemeint Shemen, was ist das gequetscht von Azeis? You'd have to come out with a whole Talmudic explanation that actually olive oil doesn't mean that it has to be from an olive. No, Azeis hat alle Tchunis von Shemen Zeiss, Ereizolo Bechulei, but rather an oil that has all the physical qualities of olive oil, even if it didn't really come from an olive. So it's not an ideal explanation to say there's miraculous oil because there are halachic shortcomings. And whereas the other option, which says that the quality of the oil changed and therefore it burnt at a slower rate, and therefore only one eighth of the oil burned down each night, still also has a problem, is it glatic? The din by Menorah is doch. The halacha of a Menorah is as ten lomidosach teitelekas merevat boikechule. There's a halacha that you have to fill the Menorah with enough oil to last a, li- an, a night. Or to. And there's a quantity for that. It's a half a loik. That's the first problem. Now we're saying that there's going to be less and less and less. By, by the seventh night of the Hanukkah miracle, there's far, far, far less oil than you're supposed to put. Besides the, that, besides the overarching principle that any time that you use a vessel in the base Amigdash for any purpose, it has to be full. Now you're arguing that the menorah is less than full. As we know, the halach is that the way you sanctify a vessel in order to serve in the base in the first place is you have to use it full. And by extension, any time you use it has to be full. So if we're going to go with the argument that the oil burns at a slower rate and now there's less and less and less oil each night of Hanukkah, then from the second night of Hanukkah, or of the original Hanukkah miracle, they were not fulfilling the halachic requirement to have a full menorah and to have the correct quantity. They didn't have the correct amount. So each argument has an halachic problem. Either you're using oil which doesn't technically qualify as oil for the menorah or you're using a quantity that doesn't qualify for the quantity of the menorah. In fact, the question has the other side to it as well. Halachically, you're supposed to fill the manure with enough oil to last the night. If it's burning at a slower rate, then on the first night that they lit the manure, there was actually eight times the amount of oil that they needed. They didn't necessarily know it, but that's the fact. And only on the last night would there be the correct amount of oil. So, Halachically, it doesn't seem that we're actually fulfilling the mitzvah of, Hanuk- of the menorah properly in the Hanukkah story. Therefore, says the Rebbe, there's got to be another possibility which doesn't fit into either of these two quali- categories, but actually brings something of each of them together. So there's a third possibility. And that third possibility will resolve our questions. And this will also help us appreciate why in the Hanukkah miracle there is something brand new that we have never seen in history before, not with Elisha and his never-ending oil, nor with Sarah and Rivka and their long-lasting candles. Brings at least one opinion that says that the Hanukkah was they poured the full amount of oil into the menorah and they arrived the next morning and they found the miracle was that the menorah was still full even though it had burned through the night the oil had not gone down let's analyze what exactly happened to cause that 
Als der Pirschen der Mehl's Explanation ist, nicht als der Schemen oder der Eis gebrennt. Und danach haben sich die Nähres wieder angefüllt mit Schemenbedürfnis. That doesn't mean that the oil burned down and then new oil appeared miraculously. Because as mentioned, that would happen an Lache question, is that oil kosher von der Menorah? That's not what happened. Now as der Schemen hat gebrennt, it means that the oil did burn. Und zusammen damit ist von ihm gar nicht nächste geworden. And the miracle was that the oil burnt without the oil diminishing. Which is similar to another description we have about heavenly fire with regards to the snare, the thorn bush that Moshe Rabbeinu saw the Ebeshter at, where the fire burns without actually burning the material that is used for ignition. So the, the bush doesn't burn up, yet there is fire. In the same way, the oil doesn't burn up, yet it ignites into fire. This is an unusual miracle, burning and not burning simultaneously. Let's even stretch the point and say, well, you could theoretically use miraculous oil in order to light a menorah. Because it has the same uh, chemical properties as olive oil, which is how we would have explained it before. But one thing is for sure, everybody would agree, in order for the menorah to be a kosher menorah, the flame has to be the result of the fuel has to be the oil that causes the flame. So therefore, Kumtois, as in Demnes is given Adova Vihifuchoi, therefore it turns out actually when you think about it that the Hanukkah miracle is that there's a, a tremendous paradox happening. There's two opposite uh, experiences happening simultaneously because the natural process of producing light through a fire is that the oil has to burn. And if it burns, it combusts and it usually disappears. And that's what's happening over here. There's actually the burning of oil to produce the light. And yet at the same time, the oil is not burning up to the extent that it disappears. So you have kilian or nit kilian bevasachas. You have combustion and lack of combustion simultaneously. This is the principle of an expression of Hashem's infinite reality that can accommodate absolute contradictions. This is quite similar to the fact that we know in the Kodesh HaKadoshim the Oren had physical dimensions and yet occupied no space. Where also there you've got these two contradictory realities because the Oren had physical dimensions that you could actually measure so it physically occupied space. And at the same time that it physically occupied space, it also did not occupy space in the Kedush HaKadoshim because you measured it and it was as if it wasn't there. Likewise here, there's the physical combustion producing this fire. The oil is burning to produce the fire, yet the oil is not being burnt up. That's an incredible miracle. So it's not just a miracle of miraculous replenishing oil, nor is it the miracle of miraculous slow burning. It's the miracle of burning and not burning simultaneously. Let's take it deeper. A tifrinian in them. The meaning from Mekayim Aram Einim and Amida, this principle that we're quite familiar with, that the Aram did not occupy space in the, in the classical way, is not not the Adgash as the Aram hot in sich gehat beide hafochim, Mida und Einam in Amida. We're not only emphasizing this incredible thought that the Aram is both finite in its dimensions and yet completely beyond the rules of finite because it doesn't occupy space, bevasachas, and that happens simultaneously. No, no, it's actually a deeper principle than this. Eine mina midah is gekommen dafke durch dem, was darin hat gehat, aber stimmt mida. 
The entire principle of knowing that the Aran doesn't occupy space hinges on the fact that the Aran has dimensions. If the Aran did not have physical dimensions, then the Aran would not be wouldn't qualify as an Aran. Has to be one and a half hours by two and a half hours. That's what it has to have. Otherwise, it's not an Aran. So, in order for the Aran to exist, it must have its physical dimensions. And therefore, if it didn't have its dimensions, it wouldn't be a miracle to say the Aran doesn't occupy space because there's no such concept as an Aran. So you need the physical dimensions to make it an Aran. And then once it has its physical dimensions, then we have the miracle of the fact that those physical dimensions don't occupy physical space. And the same kind of thing happens with Hanukkah. The miracle of the Hanukkah menorah has to be that there's actual oil burning to produce a flame. If there's not oil burning to produce a flame, you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah of the menorah. The entire exercise is futile. And in order halachically to satisfy the requirement to light the menorah, you need oil that is burning. Then the next morning when you discover that the oil is still full, that the oil didn't burn out. The miracle is not the fact that the oil replenished. The miracle is the fact that the oil burnt and did not burn at the same time. Much like the oran is only an oran because it has dimensions. And then the miracle is those dimensions don't take up space. So the Shaykhs when they move from the nest to Chanukah Dafka, vet me fashtem back to Machilik Tzvishin Digimul Biurei Fanin Nesanal. So now, why is it specifically on Chanukah that we have this crazy miracle, burning oil that doesn't burn, the total paradoxical contradiction of nature and supernature? Why is that specifically on Chanukah? So let's look at the three possibilities that we've described of how the miracle could work, and then which is the one that is specific to Chanukah. Aleph Eisafah becomes Hashem, and we said one possibility was that miraculously the oil just replenished itself. The alternative was, we said, that the oil just operates in a completely unique way and burns at a different rate. And then the one we settled on, which is that actually the miracle of Hanukkah is the burning of oil in order to fulfill the mitzvah of Hanukkah without the oil burning up in order to have the miracle of Hanukkah. In the Let's say that the miracle had been the replenishing of the oil. The miracle would only appear once at the beginning of the process. As soon as the oil fills up again, there's your miracle. You fill up the oil and now it burns again naturally. The whole burning through the night of the menorah is no longer a miracle. Next day, the oil fills again, one miracle. You light it again, it burns naturally. Of course, the miracle of the oil is important. Without it, you could not fulfill the mitzvah. There would be no oil to light. So, yes, the lighting of the menorah in this scenario is dependent on the miracle of the replenishing oil. True. But you don't see the miracle happening when you watch the menorah burning. So let's say you walked in in the middle of the evening and you saw the menorah lit. You wouldn't know where the oil came from. You'd be oblivious to the fact that there had been a miracle. So the miracle happens. The miracle facilitates the mitzvah. The miracle is not ongoing. The miracle is not visible in the performance of the mitzvah.
In Tzvet Neufen, when you go with the second view, which is that the oil burns at a slower rate, if a little bit of oil is lasting much longer than it should, ah, now when I'm watching the menorah, I can see the miracle because I watch and I see it's going down really, really slowly. And that's not normal. Aber von deswegen ist das nur, was der Uftu von der Nes setzt sich an in den Zwang, was der Schemen brennt. But when I'm looking at the menorah, I'm not seeing the miracle happen. I'm seeing the result of the miracle, slow burning oil. Aber der Nes Gufa hat sich schön aufgetan in der Regel, wenn der Ebischter hat Meshane gewonnen und verstärkt, dem Eichus Verkehr von dem Schemen. But the miracle actually happened when the Ebischter reconstituted this particular oil so that it will burn slower. I'm not witnessing the miracle, I'm witnessing the result of the fact that the Ebischter miraculously changed the constitution, the chemical makeup of the soil. But if I'm watching the menorah in the third version, the way we understand that the Hanukkah story happened, where I'm seeing a contradictory reality, I'm watching it burn without burning. Then A, the miracle is happening at every single moment. And the truth is I could detect it happening in every single moment. So this all has a good lesson for us. So these three concepts translate into how we serve the Ebishter. Let's first determine what's the difference between natural, serving Hashem in a natural way and serving Hashem in a miraculous way because that's what we're comparing over here, nature versus miracles. Natural service of Hashem is when I serve Hashem according to what makes sense. I'm serving the Abisha within the reality of my nature, what makes sense to me, my reality. If we feel erfashtate, what I understand, what I appreciate, what I feel. Whereas when a person serves the Abishta in a miraculous way, that means that they're accepting the Abishta's authority unquestioningly and therefore they're doing things which are beyond what is so to speak normal and natural and expectant you know you don't start thinking about what do i want what do i need and the person is not serving the Ebishter limited to their own natural abilities or understanding or feelings when a person serves the Ebishter in a so-called miraculous way they're all in they're completely committed doing what the Ebishter wants to the extent of personal sacrifice now, the truth is, any time that we serve the Ebishter, the underpinning, the foundation of our service of Hashem should always be accepting Hashem's authority and being willing to have Maseris Nefesh. Like we know, the Gemara tells us about the order of how the Shema is presented, that the first step of serving the Ebishter is to accept Hashem's authority, absolute commitment, and then translate that into the practical commitment of doing mitzvahs. Because a human has to know our limitations. We have to know if we're going to rely on what we understand and feel, we're not necessarily always going to be doing what Abishta wants in the way that Abishta wants. And therefore, even if we are going to employ our own minds, our understanding, etc., still the foundation of our Yiddishkeit always has to be what does the Abishta want from us? But there are many ways that this could play out. is one possibility. One possibility is we start the day with an awareness. 
I need to acknowledge Debush is in control. I need to acknowledge that I'm supposed to be dedicated to Hashem even to the point of sacrifice. And that's how I start my day. Bishas Krishme, Vasinyani is the Kabbalah of Mahal Shemaim, Bimisiris Nefesh, and I do that every single morning. I say Shema. The principle of Shema is to accept Hashem's authority to the point of sacrifice. And then once I've got that foundation, the rest of the day, I'm serving the Ebishter according to what I understand and what I feel. That's like the miracle of replenishing the oil, and then the oil burns naturally. There's no question about it, that if a person does have that focus at the beginning of the day, it will have an impact and it will influence how they behave and how they feel during the rest of the day. And the influence will be that what I do during the rest of the day will, will be aligned with what David wants. I'm not going to just be, you know, wildly doing as I please. But during the rest of the day, that original commitment to the Ebeshte is not visible. During the rest of the day, what is noticeable? Where is the person invested in serving the Ebeshte within the framework of what they appreciate and understand? Then there's a second possibility, which is like that miracle where the Ebeshter reconstitutes the oil and therefore it burns at a different rate. So you can always see the impact of the miracle as the menorah is burning. That's a person who, as they go through their day, they still feel the radiance, the residue of that original commitment to, I'm going to do what the Ebeshter wants, and I'm completely committed to the point of sacrifice. To the extent that that becomes clear in a person's mind and it's unwavering. I'm here to serve the Ebesh and do what the Ebesh wants. So yes, the person has a consciousness. I need to serve the Ebesh I need to be doing what the Ebesh wants. However, it's not necessarily the case that the person will be actually living in a state of mysterious nefesh all day long. Just means that through the course of the day, I keep remembering the fact that I had that inspiration and I felt that commitment and it kind of informs how I behave during the day. It helps, helps keep the person focused, helps keep the person doing the right thing during the course of the day. But the person is not necessarily acting with mysterious nefesh through the course of the day. They're inspired by mysterious nefesh through the course of the day. Is the third and ultimate state of how we should serve the Ebeshter. Throughout the entire day, to be in a state of readiness to sacrifice for the Ebeshter. Where the person is completely immersed and invested in serving the Ebeshter with total sacrifice. And therefore all day long, everything that the person does is completely invested with and informed by Messias Nefesh. As you'll see with the example of Rabbi Akiva, his entire life he's bothered by the fact, when can I have Messias Nefesh? How will I have Messias Nefesh? Rabbi Akiva didn't only feel this commitment of Messias Nefesh at the highlight of Krishna in the middle of davening, but all the time. In all is by nefesh. Everything that Rabbi Akiva did all of the time was completely driven by Messias Nefesh.
Which level a person will be at is dependent on where they're holding spiritually. So let's say we were living in the greatest spiritual times. We're living at a time where you could see Kedusha revealed in the world, which would imply that a person is serving the Ebeshte in the mode of a tzaddik. Then is genug Then yes, you could have that miracle at the beginning of the day. You could have that awareness at the beginning of the day. The world is a good place. We're all aligned with what the Ebeshter wants. We just need that boost at the beginning of the day of Messias Nefesh and commitment to the Ebeshter, and it will carry us through. One of our bouts is talking Chayshech because there's no real darkness and obstacles. Is ech das deresha mamsis nefesh maspik to bavorin as dispeted gavodesh apitam adazol zanki deboi. Then that initial push of mamsis nefesh will keep us going. We'll have the momentum. We'll be able to serve the Ebrister without any impediment. But what if we're not living in that beautiful world and instead we're living in a dark world? Then to be able to contend with such a dark world, it's not going to be good enough just to have a spark of Messias Nefesh commitment at the beginning of the day. And the rest of the day is just there in the background abstract. In a dark times, a person has to have the sensitivity and awareness of Messias Nefesh all day. That's the only way we could overcome the darkness. And how we do that successfully, well, there are two possibilities. One possibility is, One possibility is, we live in the world. The world is a dark place. It is designed to obscure godliness. And it's doing its job. It's obscuring godliness. So as long as we're living in that world where the opposition or the blockage to godliness is the normal, natural way that David should design the world, so it's a natural process. So then, in order for us to stand up against that darkness, all we really need is our own natural abilities, our natural understanding and feelings, the, the nature of our nefshar so it's good enough for us to serve the Ebeshti using our nature, but to be sure that we don't get confused or distracted by the darkness. We have to have that awareness, that sensitivity, that feeling of mysterious nefesh during the course of the day, just to make sure we don't get sucked into the darkness. But now let's talk about the world as we experience it. But what happens when you live in a world that isn't just fulfilling its natural process of obscuring godliness, but it is actively trying to block and oppose godliness? Then we are in a different story. The Jewish people are captive by the world. The world is interfering with us serving the Ebishter. Well, then our avoid is that we actually have to fight the world, fight the darkness. We've got to break the stranglehold of darkness and eventually transform the darkness into light. How do you do that? To achieve that, that's when we have to be with absolute dedication, with complete mysterious nefesh, every step of the way, all day long, and only then do we convert darkness into light. That's actually what happened at the Hanukkah story. That's why the miracle of Hanukkah is this incredible miracle of 
two completely contradictory realities, burning and not burning simultaneously. A miracle that had to repeat itself at every moment of the miracle. Because that miracle was obviously the response to the kind of dedication to Hashem that the Yidin was showing at that particular time, which was Mesir's Nefesh at every step of the way. Because of the incredible darkness during the time of the Greek Empire. As we say in the Tefillah of Alanisim, they adamantly and actively wanted to make us forget and detach from Judaism. So they're fighting against us. What do you see the Jews did? Tremendous Messias Nefesh, taking on an army that is multiple times greater than them and more powerful than them. Then they are. So that they would fight against darkness. And they were so powerful in their Messias Nefesh that they were able to elicit, as the Pasuk says, and Hashem, not just Hashem, and Hashem, which implies something, which is a very high level, will illuminate the darkness. They were able to elicit such a high level of Abisha, such a great revelation of godliness that would turn the darkness into light. And their Messias Nefesh, their tremendous dedication to the Abisha, to the point of Messias Nefesh, that elicited this great miracle as illustrated, as manifested in the story of the oil. They found oil that was sealed with a Kohen Godel seal that implies something that is immune to the influences and impact of negative forces. To put it into the language of Hasidus, it's an implication of a level of the essence of the source of all existence, which of course is higher than the system within which existence lives. Because they reached such a high level, because they were able to elicit such a deep part of the Ebishter's essence, therefore the way that translated into a miracle in this world is a miracle that defies every single rule in the book. So that's the message of Hanukkah, which also links us to the other for us as Chesidim, very important date in the month of Kislev. The talk from Kislev was the Rosh Hashanah of Chesidus, the day of Yitzh Kislev, the Rosh Hashanah of Chesidus. Now that we're in this incredibly dark period, just before Mashiach is revealed, where the darkness thickens from day to day. The weapon that we need to release in order to overcome the darkness is the oil of Torah. Torah is usually compared to water, the deeper parts of Torah to wine, and oil is the essence of Torah. Not just the secrets of Torah, but the very deepest secrets of Torah, the essence of Torah, the Yechida of Torah which is the part that empowers us to reveal and express the Yechida dimension of our own souls. That's why we have Yitzhak Kislev now. And not just that we should have access, us as some kind of an elite group, to these deep, deep teachings of Torah, but we should take the origin and the source of those teachings and spread them to the furthest possible reaches. That will empower us to be able to transform this darkness 
into light. Until eventually we see the fulfillment of the prophecy that the night itself will become radiant like the day that the darkness of Golis will be transformed into light with the coming of Mashiach immediately.